Hi everyone, it's Charles here from the GHFC with podcast number 28. Now today I'm going to be sharing with you the fourth story in our series of nine, or as I believe it's called, a nonette. Uh, Each one representing the career paths taken by fellow students having completed their initial tertiary qualifications in quarry engineering way back in the early 1980s. It is important that I point out that these reflections simply serve as a point of reference for everyone, not just those in the engineering sector, to fully appreciate that although you may embark on a set career path in your late teens or early 20s, it does not have to be life-defining for you. What is most important is the ability to take stock of where you're at, Ask yourself, are you really being fulfilled? Then make adjustments to suit. That's exactly what these nine people did. And as you'll see, life has worked out pretty well for them all. Now, by way of introduction, in 1980, we were nine guys from all corners of the UK who fame, sorry, fate, not fame, fate, thrust together at the Doncaster Metropolitan Institute of Higher Education, nestling amidst the sleepy hamlets of High Melton and Cayby on the outskirts of Doncaster, South Yorkshire, where we embarked on the Doncaster Diploma in Quarry Engineering. Now in 2021, due to COVID, the passing of time and the advent of Zoom and WhatsApp, 12 former students reconnected as DDQ reunited. Started with three of us, then went to four, then grew to eight, and finally becoming 12. Now, these real-life stories from nine of the DDQ Reunited crew have recently been encapsulated in their book titled 40 Years On, Reflections on Life Before, During and After Quarrying. And ordering details are available on the GHFC website at glasshalffullcom.com. Now, in our first story, we heard from Andrew in Devon. Then, in our second, we heard from Andy in Northumberland. Our third story, we heard from Bernie in North Wales. Well, story number four is uh, Charlie's, or my story, The Boy from Berkshire. As such, I can narrate it in my own voice. In 1980, I was 21, a very unworldly 21, although I had been to Mallorca. I was a southerner brought up in a family with a long, long tradition in the quarrying sector, specialising in sand and gravel operations. I loved quarrying, and even today when I visit England and go on site visits with my cousin and CEO of the business, I like nothing better than running a handful of 10 mil shingle or some sharp sand through my fingers. The DDQ was my awakening. I truly became a man of the world as I traversed the ensuing three years with my fellow student intake. Those who were fortunate enough to attend High Melton will understand it was a a rite of passage with a Doncaster Diploma in Quarry Engineering, nowadays a HND Engineering equivalent, and the promise of a BSc Engineering in Leeds in a one-year top-up course. Well, upon completing the DDQ successfully, I hasten to add, Uh, being offered a place at Leeds University, I returned to working full-time for the family business. 
Well, that was until I was offered a trainee quarry manager role with what was then English China clay quarries. The only catch was that I would have to forego my top up year at Leeds, to which I was assured would not have any negative implications on my career. My mentors at the time advised me to go for it as ECCQ was top five in the UK and would be an invaluable experience, certainly not one to delay. So I did, and it was. I held positions at Callow Rock Quarry in Cheddar, a Coleman's Quarry in Froome, attending many an Institute of Quarrying uh, meeting in the beautiful city of Bath, before being appointed in 1986 as Assistant Quarry Manager at Greystones Quarry near Launceston. That's on the Devon Cornwall border. Then in 1987, at the ripe old age of 28, I had an epiphany. Now, although I was in a career that was progressing nicely, was I really cut out to spend the next 37 years of my life doing this? This at the time being quarry operations with all the hard skills that that required. My mind and my heart at the time were leaning towards the more softer skills of sales and marketing. My rationale being I could use the wealth of experience gained to date to better support the technical side of the sales and marketing teams. A position actually became available. I even applied for it, only to be advised by my regional manager that by all means go for the interview. However, remember, you are an operations man. You will not get the job. So I did, and I didn't get the job, I mean. I stewed on it for a while in my bedsit in Launceston, eventually making the decision, albeit with a heavy heart, to resign. Eight months later, I was in Perth, Western Australia, ready to embark on something called backpacking, arriving in Sydney some six months later, where I found a temporary role in sales and marketing with the Avon Beauty Company. Oh yes, ding dong, Avon calling. Well, within five months, I had my residency. Then the following year, my citizenship. I was by now a full-time sales manager with Avon, looking after a team of 400 sales representatives out of our Sydney head office and loving it. At the close of the first two years, I'd led my district to being one of the top 10 sales districts across Australia and New Zealand, enjoying a wonderful trip to Singapore and Hong Kong in recognition. My career took off as a result, securing roles as Regional Manager for Victoria, the Australian Capital Territory and Tasmania. Then on to National Head of Operations, of Warehousing, Shipping and Transport and then on to National Sales Operations Manager for Australia and New Zealand, responsible for over 60,000 Avon ladies and a few Avon men. And during this time, I travelled to the US, South Africa, the UK, France, Spain and all over Asia with Avon, at one time being part of a team of four tasked with establishing sales operations across China, which we did way ahead of all our competitors. Sadly, in 2011, I fell victim to a toxic manager who not only made my life hell, but also that of several colleagues. 
His bullying, intimidation, harassment and discrimination eventually led to my having an acute mental breakdown, resulting in being clinically diagnosed with anxiety-related depression. I am compelled to point out that a toxic manager is today known as a sociopath, exhibiting the same heinous tendencies at the same time merging chameleon-like into his or her environment, often invisible to company managers and executives. So please be warned. In my case, I had to engage an employment lawyer to clear my name, at the same time ensuring the resignations of the toxic manager and his accomplice, both being heads of departments and members of the executive group. Today, having retired from corporate life, I devote my time to my mental health wellbeing foundation, the Glass Half Full Community, publishing regular blogs on my website, articles for industry publications and podcasts in support of mental health wellbeing, especially in the workplace. So although I was not one of those who progressed into a flourishing and rewarding career in the quarrying sector, I will always cherish the memories and the, skill, the life skills I learned during my time at Doncaster and alongside my many workplace colleagues since. And since reconnecting, these memories have been re-energized, reinforcing the fun and companionship that life undoubtedly has to offer. Well, there you go. Uh, that's my recollection, recollections over the last 40 years. I uh, hope you gained some insights and, and added value uh, from, from mine and our previous three uh, contributors' experiences. And as always, many, many thanks for listening. Uh, our fifth story in this nonet uh, will be from Cornishman Chris, and it will follow shortly. Now, should you or someone you know be showing signs of anxiety, then please do contact or at least go to the website of the following organisations, Black Dog Institute, Beyond Blue, Gotcha for Life, Lifeline, Sane Australia, uh, Are You OK? or Headspace. Until next time, stay mentally well. All the very best, Charles at the GHFC.